Romans chapter 12. Uh, our focus tonight will be in verse 2, but allow me to read verse 1 uh, for the sake of context. Uh, but again, we will focus on verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray one last time as we begin. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can meet here together tonight. We thank you for bringing each of us here. God, we thank you that we can trust you in all things. We thank you that your will is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds this evening. That your Holy Spirit would convict us and change us. Most of all, I pray that you'd be glorified. That Christ would be exalted. And that we would be worshipful. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we looked at last week, if you remember, verse 1, Paul had just urged the believers that in light of the gospel, remember that was the big therefore in verse 1, that in light of the gospel, the Christian is to live a sacrificial life to God. And last week we looked at that the sacrificial life is the sacrifice of your body. It is a living sacrifice. It is a holy sacrifice. It is acceptable to God. And it is your spiritual worship. But how can the Christian live the sacrificial life to God? How can we do that? And he answers that question on how, right here in this next verse, verse 2. First, and it really just kind of builds on, its, on itself, like, like building blocks. How can the Christian live a sacrificial life to God? First, by not being conformed to the world. Second, instead of being conformed to the world, by being transformed. How does this transformation take place? By renewing our mind. And when this happens, what does it produce? It proves that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. So that's really how he outlines verse 2. So in summary, that's, that's what verse 2 is all about. That if the Christian is to live a sacrificial life to God, then they must have the right mind. They must not conform to the ways and the thinking of this world, but instead they must change from within to be more like Christ. And in doing so, you will see that contrary to what the world says, God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's really what's going on here. It seems like the first two verses that it's a big jumbled mess, but it's really not. It really lays out in a nice fashion as it just builds on itself. And so tonight, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what the renewed mind of the sacrificial life looks like. Right? So you just said in verse 1 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that the Christian now is to present themselves in that way as a living sacrifice to God. Well, let's look at what the renewed mind of this sacrificial life looks like. And so in doing so, we're going to look at four main points tonight. And they're all going to build off of each other. The four main points are going to be that we are to not be conformed. Secondly, but be transformed. 
Thirdly, by the renewal of your mind. Fourthly, so that you will be able to prove God's will. That's where we're going tonight. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you will be able to prove God's will. All right, just four main points. That's it. So our first one, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed. That's what Paul says. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, in order for us to understand, I think, this command properly, I want us to focus on two main points here. First, what does world mean? What does world mean when it says do not be conformed to this world? And second, what does conformed mean? Those are the two things we really need to pay attention to. What does the world what does world mean and what does conformed mean? So first, this world. What does he mean when he says do not be conformed to this world? And while most translations choose the word world here, which I, I think it is helpful for us while reading the text for it to be wor- world, the more literal translation for this word is this age. Do not be conformed to this age. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I want us to focus on in what ways we are to not conform to the world or not to conform to this age, as he says, more literally. As in, we, I want us to look at how might we be tempted to conform to this age. And I think it really can speak to the belief of secularism. Secularism comes from the word secular, and secular comes from the Latin word seculum, which means age, as in this age. And there are a lot of implications of secularism, probably the most well-known being the separation of church and state. But one of the core philosophies that come out of secularism is to not look beyond this world, but instead to live as if this age is all there is. And it puts all of the value on today and and this life now. And it removes all value on what happens after this life. See, to be conformed to this world, to be conformed to this age, is to put all value on today. To put all value on what lies in front of you. And if what lies in front of you is what matters most, then why put any effort or concern into God? Or into judgment. Or into eternal life. If this age is all that matters, then why pursue godly things? Or why pursue God at all? And what this will ultimately lead to is eliminating God from your life. From your thoughts. From your purpose. From your will. From your pursuits. See, to live a secular life means to live a life that is separate from God. You see the dangerous path that this thought process puts you on? To conform to this world, to conform to this age, is to remove God from the center of your life. And when you eliminate God, what are you left with? Just yourself. And when it's just you, then you become the highest, most worthy being in your life. And you are forfeiting What is infinitely perfect and beautiful and joyful and all satisfying. When you eliminate God and when man becomes supreme. Salvation does not even make sense. Because when you remove God from the equation and when you elevate man in his place. Then you need no saving. According to your own thought process. You believe you are good on your own. And you lose all reality that you are a sinner in need of a savior. 
But man is not supreme. God is. Man is but dust. Man is sinful. Man is in need of a Savior. And God, who is supreme, lowered himself. And he added humanity to himself. And died for man. And he is indeed that Savior that we need. And so I say to everyone here, do not remove God from the equation. Do not remove God from your life. Do not conform to this age and believe that you do not need God. You need him more than anything. Always. All the time. Is your mind, are your goals, are your purposes that of this age? Or are they things in which concern God? What are your concerns? Are they of this world? Are they of this age? Has the world applied so much pressure on you that you have fallen prey to believing that the things of this world are the highest of importance? Are you prioritizing the things of this world? Prioritizing the things of this age? Or are you, as Paul would say in Colossians 3, seeking the things that are above? Are your concerns of that of God's kingdom and of that of his glory? Are your pursuits of that in which have eternal value? Or are your pursuits that of this world? Is your mindset that in which God is at the center? Or is your mindset of that of this world? See, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. What does he mean by conformed? To conform to this world. Now, the, the word here for conform means to, to shape one thing like another. To conform, to, to shape one thing like another. If, if we are to conform to this world, then we are to be shaped like the world. And the interesting thing is that the tense of this verb, conform, is passive. It suggests that the conformity happens to you. And it happens from the outside. That there are outside Forces and influences that are conforming you, that are shaping you to be like it. While the verb is passive, it is also a command. It's an an imperative to not be conformed. Paul is commanding us to not allow the pressures of the world to conform us. To make us like itself. As in, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Are you allowing the pressures of this world to squeeze you into its mold so that you are becoming more like the world? What are the ways in which you feel that pressure? What are the ways in which you feel the pressure to be squeezed into the mold of the world? What are the ways in which you don't look like a follower of Christ? Instead, you look like a follower of the world. You know, I think it's very hypocritical. Many times you hear Christians upset at non-Christians for putting on a fake mask of Christianity when in reality they are not Christians, right? Like these non-Christians just masquerade as Christians. We don't like it. All while at the same time, Christians do the exact same thing. They put on a mask for themselves. They put on a worldly mask to cover their true identity. 
In the same way that a non-Christian puts on a fake Christian mask, the Christian will put on a worldly mask and masquerade as a non-Christian. You see what I'm saying? Sure, the, the, the Christian is fine looking like a Christian at church and looking like a Christian to the parents and looking like a Christian to, to their leaders and to all these people that they want them to see. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. But when they're around others, they put on this worldly mask to hide their true identity in Christ. Why is that? Is it a fear of man? Is it a shame of Christ? Is it a desire to join in the sins of this world? What is it? Why do we Christians often put on the mask of worldliness? I believe it's because we conform to the world. We get squeezed into its mold. In some ways we want to be like the world. And not like Christ. Christian, what ways do you conform to the world? In what ways is the world squeezing you, squeezing into you and trying to squeeze God out? Remember who you are in Christ, Christian. Remember your identity in Christ. Do not conform to the things of this world. And when you fail, because you will fail, still remember your identity in Christ. In your identity, remember that you are forgiven. Remember that you are redeemed. Remember that you are a new creation. Rest in the grace and the forgiveness of God. And repent from the ways in which the world has squeezed you into its thinking, into its mold. Now Paul doesn't stop there. That's the put off. But what's the put on? Instead of being conformed to the world, he says, do not be conformed. He says what? But be transformed. But be transformed. And this is contrary to being conformed to the world. As conformity happens from the outside, the pressure from the outside, the transformation happens from the inside. The transformation happens from within. And the verb like conformity also suggests that it happens to you. It is also a passive imperative. That we are to allow this transformation from the inside to happen to us. And this happens to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Christian, thank God for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit sustains us. The Holy Spirit grows us, preserves us, seals us. And it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in which we are transformed. He is the one who changes our hearts. He is the one who convicts us. He is the one who changes us. He is the one who who grows us. You see, as, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a shepherd, I so badly want to change your hearts. I want to convict you. I want to change you. I want to grow you. But that is not my work at all. I have no ability to do that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to transform you. And I pray by the grace of God I present the word faithfully, but God is the one who does the work. In this case, God the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms. And the word for transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, which some of you instantly hear what word? 
Metamorphosis. That's where we get the word metamorphosis. That transformation, right? Just like a caterpillar who transforms into a butterfly. Like in a bug's life at the very end. I'm a beautiful butterfly. Have you seen it? It's so good. Right? In that same way, the Christian is transformed into a new creation as well. Have you been transformed? And if you didn't know anything about how metamorphosis works, and I were to show you a caterpillar, and then I were to show you a butterfly, and I told you, this butterfly once looked like this caterpillar. You wouldn't believe me. You think that's absurd. There's no way that little plump, juicy, hairy thing, whatever, looks like this beautiful winged butterfly. And the same is true for the Christian. It's absurd, really. God transforms the believer, and that transformation is radical. And if it had not been for the work of God, there's no way there would be this kind of transformation in our life. Not a chance. Is that true for you? You're here, you claim to be a Christian. Is that true? That there has been a radical transformation in your life. Now remember, it is a passive imperative. It is a command, but it's also done to us by the Holy Spirit. It's like we looked at last week, the idea of a dependent responsibility. That we are responsible for transforming to the image and likeness of Christ. We should pursue it, but we are fully dependent of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're fully dependent on the grace of God. Not our work, not our strength, but by His grace. See, we must not forget our need for the power and the grace of God in our lives. All of this is by His grace and His grace alone. Without it, we have nothing. It is by His grace that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. It is by His grace that He even uses the Word to change us. It is by His grace that we are transformed from any degree to the next. We need the grace of God. That's the same thing with salvation. We need the grace of God. We need God to work within us to cause a miracle, to cause a transformation. You cannot be transformed into a new being from your own efforts or from outside works. You understand? You cannot do, quote, godly things to cause a transformation in your life. This transformation starts in your heart. It begins in your soul. And it results in a life that is changed from the inside out. If you are not a Christian and you are desiring a transformation and you are pursuing change, it does not start with you. It does not start with your efforts. It starts with the power of the Holy Spirit. It starts with the grace of God. It must happen from within. You need, by the grace of God, a work from the Holy Spirit. And if you desire this, ask that God would grant you the faith to believe in His Son and ask that He would grant you a heart of repentance. Ask that the Holy Spirit would awaken your soul and give you eyes to see. And then turn to Him in genuine faith and repentance. And Christian, it's the same thing. We must be transformed. And if you are seeking to not be conformed to this world, but instead to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, good, then seek after God and ask that He would work in your life. Now, what ways does this transformation need to begin? 
Where, where do we start with this transformation? Aside from the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But from within us, where, where does it start? It starts by the renewal of our minds, which is what he says next. By the renewal of our minds. Look, he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. We're looking at living sacrificially for God, right? Verse 1. And yet, Paul does not begin with behavior. He begins with our way of thinking. Isn't that interesting? Not because behavior doesn't matter or because he's not concerned with behavior at all. He'll get there. But because sacrificial living for God starts in the mind. As the legendary great Chris Keeskin has been known for saying... Some of you guys know, you old veterans, that the way you think affects the way you act. That's what he says. And it's so true. It starts in the mind. It starts in the way you think. The way in which you think will affect the way in which you live. And there are many things Christians ought to be. But near the top of that list, Christians are to be thinkers. Not mindlessly going through life, but people that think and whose minds are renewed and transformed into Christ-likeness. It's, it's, it's a popular belief and, and, and counsel and, and practice that we as people need to empty our minds. And you will hear in self-help seminars, and you will read in books and in articles, that one of the best things you can do for yourself is empty your mind. That if you're stressed, empty your mind. Then if you're in a dilemma and you need guidance, empty your mind. What? Empty your mind? That is not biblical teaching at all. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. We aren't to empty our mind and become this, this desolate, void, walking piece of flesh. What does the Bible say? We are to renew our minds. We are to fill our minds with his truth. Just go read Psalm 119. It's very short. It's no problem. <laughs> Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Don't empty your mind. Fill it. Fill it with God's word and his truths. And we aren't just to think, but we're to think as God thinks. And for us to think as God thinks, for us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, is to know his word. Is to be in his word. Is to study his word. Is to understand his word. What does your relationship with his word look like? What does your relationship with God's word look like? Is it a distant relationship? Is it a hostile relationship? Is it a non-existent relationship? Or is it a deep, loving relationship? Do you think as God thinks? Is your mind being renewed? Now, we, we, we must understand this correctly. 
Okay, to, to renew our minds and to think in, in, in a Christian way versus a, a worldly way that does not merely mean that we only think about Christian stuff and, and not think about worldly stuff. It's not what it means. It means to think about everything in a godly way, even the things of this world. We don't isolate ourselves from the world and only think about, quote, Christian things. But to renew our minds and to think as God thinks is to live in the world, not of the world, but in the world, and to think of the things in the world in a Christ-like way. Did Jesus isolate himself from the entire world? No. He worked. He had a job. He was a carpenter. He had dinner with people. He went to parties, to weddings. He had friendships. He lived life in the world. And he had thoughts in the world and about the world. But his mind was of God. He was God. He is God. He didn't think of things in a worldly way. But what? In a sinless, perfect, godly way. You see? To renew our minds is not to only think of of Christian things and to not think about worldly stuff. It is to think about everything in a godly way. I mean, even on the flip side, let's just reverse that. One could think about Christian things in a worldly way, right? You could be taking communion, but be thinking about it in a worldly way. Thinking about others and looking at you. Thinking about how you don't like these crackers and this juice. I know, no one does. Thinking about how the person leading it is, is, is talking too slow or talking too fast or talking too quiet or talking too loud or wondering, man, when's this going to get done because it's almost lunchtime, right? I mean, like one of the most sacred, blessed times we have in reflecting on the gospel and we could think of it in a worldly way. You could be praying publicly but be thinking about it in a worldly way. Thinking of the most grandiose words you can say. Thinking if so-and-so is listening. Thinking about how, how you're one of the only few people who actually volunteers to pray for, for Dubon. Poor Dubon. At least he has me pray. You could be doing a godly thing, but be thinking about it in a worldly way. So you see, it's not simply to only think about Christian things and to never think about things in the world. But the Christian is to think about everything in a Christian, or I should say, in a godly way. To renew their minds, to think through everything in a biblical, God-honoring way. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, Christian, we are to break the mold of the world's thinking. We are to resist the pressures of thinking the way the world thinks. And instead, allow our minds to be molded and transformed into the way God thinks. Do you think in the way God thinks? Have you been transformed by the renewal of your mind? Or do you think in the way the world thinks? Have you been conformed to this world? How do you look at the things in this world compared to how the world looks at the things in this world? Does that make sense? How do you view suffering and difficulty? In a worldly way? Or in a godly way? How do you view death? Whether it's your own death 
or someone else's death? In a worldly way or in a godly way? How do you view success? And what even is success? And, and how should you pursue success? In a worldly way or in a godly way? How do you view purpose? What is your purpose in life? You view it in a worldly way or a godly way? What are the things in your life in which you view through the lens of the world when you ought to be viewing it through the lens of God's word? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And there's purpose to this. It leads to something. Which is how he ends this verse. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So our last point. So that you will be able to prove God's will. So that you will be able to prove God's will. What Paul is saying here is that as you live a sacrificial life to God, as you are not conformed to this world, but instead are transformed by the renewal of your mind, you will prove that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is God's will? Well, in this case, we're talking about his moral will, not as much as his decreed will. There could be some implications to that, but I believe he's talking more about his moral will. As in the things in which is his will, as in God's desire for you to live your life. And in this context, we're talking about God's will for you to live a sacrificial life to him. Remember the context of verse 1. I believe it is consistent. We're talking about God's will for you to live a sacrificial life to him. That God's will for your life to not be conformed to the world. God's will for your life to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And as you do this, as you live sacrificially to God, you will prove God's will. You will see that it is good, acceptable, and perfect to live sacrificially and to live in accordance to God's will. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that God's will, including living sacrificially to him, do you believe that that's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect? Or does it seem like living sacrificially to God is the negative side? That is the trade-off to the blessings you have in him. Living sacrificially, well, by definition, is sacrifice. Living sacrificially for God is a blessing. It is good. It is acceptable. It is perfect. Do you view it as such? Do you trust this about God's will for your life? About his moral will for your life? God's will is good. When we begin to conform to the world and the way of the world's thinking... We do not view God's will as good. In fact, when we begin to conform to the ways and thinking of the world, we begin to question if God's will is good. Because sometimes God's will is hard. And therefore, we think it's not good. Hard doesn't equal bad. Hard doesn't equal not good. And the world will tempt us with something that, that seems easier. And therefore, we think, well, then that's good. And so we question the will of God. But God's will is good. 
For God can only do what is good, and therefore his will is good. The question should never be if God's will is good. The question is, do you trust that God's will is good? Do you believe that God's will is good? Always. Because his will is always good. He also says that God's will is acceptable. And this can also be translated as pleasing. It's the idea that if, if we abide by the will of God, if we choose to live sacrificially, if we choose to not conform to this world, but instead to be transformed and renew our mind, then we will indeed have pleasure in life. God's will is pleasing. God's will is pleasing. Do you believe that? That God's will is pleasing. Because the world will say otherwise. The world will say that true pleasure is found in the sins of this world. And God's will keeps us from true pleasure. That is a lie from the enemy. The world is deceitful. It will lie to us and say, yeah, that's, that's the trade-off. It's, it's a trade-off. That you can either... Here's your choice. Here's the trade-off in the way the, the world presents it. You can either live a fun and pleasurable and satisfying life now, but the trade-off is you won't go to heaven. Or you can do the Christian thing and live a boring, restrictive, dull life now, but the trade-off is that you get to go to heaven. And a Christian may even listen to that lie of the world and they'll say, I see that trade-off, but I'm going to take heaven. Even if that means I live a boring and restrictive and dull life now, I know it's going to be worth it for me in the end. But that is still a wrong way of thinking, Christian. Christianity and living in accordance to God's will is not boring or restrictive or dull. To live in accordance to God's will is all satisfying and it is all pleasurable. It is pleasing. If you want to study this further, I'd recommend John Piper has a series on this called The Blazing Center. And in it, he talks about the Christian hedonist. And a hedonist is someone who seeks their own pleasure. Right? So a Christian hedonist sounds like an oxymoron. Well, there can't be a Christian hedonist. If a hedonist seeks his own pleasure, how can you have a Christian hedonist? Christian can't seek his own pleasure. Wrong, John Piper would say. The Christian does seek his own pleasure. It's good for the Christian to seek his own pleasure. And the Christian can find an everlasting, never-ending pleasure found in Christ. Because there's nothing more satisfying than Christ. So be satisfied in Christ. So yes, seek your pleasure. And that pleasure is not found in the things of this world. That pleasure is found in the person of Jesus Christ and living in accordance to his will. And last, Paul says that God's will is perfect. That God's will is perfect. And the word here for perfect carries the idea of that which is mature and complete. It's perfect, mature and complete. God's will is complete. It is all that we need. It is all satisfying. There is a wholeness, a completeness to his will. To live for the world or to live for ourselves is to not be complete. But it's to live a life. That is empty and meaningless. Our purpose in life is to glorify God. And to live a life that goes against that, to live a life that is, that is not pointed to the glory of God, is a life that is incomplete. But to live for God in all things is to live a complete life 
God's will is perfect. And to live according to God's will brings about a complete life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that living in accordance to God's will is perfect? That living in accordance to God's will is complete? Does your life reflect that you believe that? When your life is over, and you look back on your life, will you find pleasure in what you accomplished? Think about that. Maybe that's hard at a young age, but I want you to Stretch your mind a little bit. Will you look back and find pleasure in what you accomplished? Will you be pleased with how you lived your life? Will it be complete? If you conformed to this world and lived how it says to live, I promise you, you will not be pleased. You will not be complete. You will look back. You will realize that you wasted it. You will look back and regret that you did not live in accordance to God's will. And you did not live for his glory. And if you lived in accordance to God's will, if, if you can look back and say, I lived for the glory of God and all that I could. And I know I sinned and I failed, but God's grace covered it. And I, and I poured myself out for God, for his glory. I promise you, you will be pleased. For that is where ultimate, true satisfaction is found. In living in accordance to God's will for the glory and the praise of Him. Do you believe that? You know how I know if you believe that or not? How you live your life today. It's one thing to say that you believe this. It's another thing to live it out. Does your life reflect that you believe that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect? Is that what your life reflects to others? And so often we, we want God to reveal his will for us. And then we want to decide if it's good, pleasing, and perfect. Well, guess what? God has revealed his will to us. His moral will. And not only that, but he's revealed that it is good, and that it is pleasing, and that it is perfect. Live sacrificially to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And you will see that it is true that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul begins this new section in his letter to the Romans in chapter 12. By calling Christians to live a sacrificial life to God. And he starts by calling them to not conform to this world, but instead to be transformed by the renewal of their minds. Now, we must never forget that this call is in light of the gospel. As we said last week, salvation comes before Christian living. Always. Christian living does not come before salvation. Which means if you are not a Christian, your concerns and efforts should not be towards living a sacrificial life. Your concern ought to be your relationship with God. The only transformation you need right now is the transformation of your heart of stone 
into a heart of flesh. And that is only done by the work and the grace of God. Putting in efforts into Christian living will do you no good. Please do not hear this message tonight and think that you need to live better. If you walk away with anything tonight, non-Christian, I hope it is this. That you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And your only hope is in Jesus Christ. So place your faith in Him. And repent of your sins. Now Christian, I say to you. You also must hear all of this in light of the gospel. Remember the great work he has done in your life, Christian. The work is complete. There is nothing that we add to it. We do not live sacrificial lives to God to add to the work of Christ. We do not live sacrificial lives to God so that he loves us more. We don't live sacrificial lives to God so that we are further secured in him. All of that is complete and finished through the work of Jesus Christ. But we also do not ignore the sacrificial life in which he has called us to live. We are motivated by the gospel. By the last 11 chapters, we are motivated by the gospel. We are overwhelmed by his great love. We are moved to live for him in all things because of who he is and what he has done. And it starts with not conforming to this world, but instead by being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Let the gospel be the foundation for all we do. Be transformed by the gospel. Let the gospel renew your mind. And as a result, do not conform to this world, but instead live sacrificially to God in all things for the glory and the praise of Him. Let's pray. Lord God, it is your glory and your praise that we seek. Lord, with our lives, I pray our lives would be sacrificial lives to you. God, that we would not conform to this world, but instead that we'd be transformed by the renewal of our minds. God, that that we would prove your will is good and acceptable and perfect. God, we need you. We need your grace in all things. We cannot do this on our own. Lord, I pray that your spirit would indeed do a work in each of us in the ways in which we need. For some, Lord, we need you to open our eyes to see the truth, maybe for the first time. God, I pray you would save the lost. Lord, for others, show us, God, where we are conforming to the world. Show us where we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind to live for the glory of you. I pray you bless the time that we have as we discuss these things together for your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.